640 Toronto presents Think Tank. Two guests, Toronto's top stories. Now, let's meet the guests. That's what we're going to do. 735 on Toronto Today. Thanks for the urgency there. Let's say good morning uh, to uh, broadcaster extraordinaire. I could be mentioning either person, but ladies first. Stephanie Smythe, it's great to have you on again this morning. Hey, good morning. And uh, you know our next guest. Uh, he's uh, he's done some uh, 640 contributing. I heard him in the car the other day on a Monday. Um, and we may be seeing him on our television screens uh, again soon. No, he's not becoming a Hollywood actor. Although I wouldn't rule it out. Here's He's acting like a, an, an, an informed and uh, an interested panelist at this hour of the morning. He is Steve Pakin uh, from TV Ontario. You're going to go back to work. Yes, we have an agreement, but I tell you, I don't feel much like a broadcaster extraordinaire this morning. I can do a, a great impression of Brian Mulroney, if you like, because I have woken up with laryngitis, so I'll do my best not to embarrass you this morning, Greg. Uh, what, what's, the, uh, what's the diagnosis? What's the um, cure for uh, the diagnosis of Steve Pakin's laryngitis? What do you take? The, the cure is uh, lots of tea and um, stop talking, but I don't seem to be able to do the latter. Oh, that's, that's, <laughs> I get that, that, that email from my boss all the time, just to, but it's not, that's not really a formula. That's just a, that's a quick two-word sentence with an exclamation point at the end. So, Steph, we've all been through that as broadcasters. What, do you, what, what, what cures the pipes of Stephanie Smythe? <laughs> you know what? Like, luckily, or maybe unfortunately for the public, I haven't really had laryngitis in my life. <laughs> but, you know, it seems to be, a, I know my husband tends to get it quite a bit, you know, people who talk a lot on air. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I feel for you, Steve, it's, you're a trooper for coming on today. Not at all. Good chance to be with you. Mrs. Brady yeah. recommends something called golden milk, and that's not an Austin Powers movie. That's like turmeric milk, <laughs> which is like, um, I think there's syrup and cinnamon and some black pepper. It's spicy, and it makes me sweat a little bit, um, but it's an anti- It's meant to be like a healing anti-inflammatory drink. So turmeric milk, if you want to Google that, Steve, later mm. on. Turmeric milk. I'll get some of that later today. I'll try anything. All right. Well, do your best. And if Steph and I have to uh, lift you through this segment, um, it's something you've done for me on occasion. So we'll, we'll do it. Uh, <laughs> Steph, let's start with you. The Bloc Québécois, they rode on their, on their horses, their separatist horses, uh, to the rescue of the federal liberals yesterday. And they voted with them against a CPC NDP motion to shave off the carbon tax for all forms of home heating this winter. So all three of us and the listeners will end up paying what we were supposed to pay to begin with. So I'm curious to you, did the liberals save face here with the blocks help or is this a political moment and a win for the conservatives that they put this kind of heat on the liberals? That is such a good question. It's like all of the above, right? It's and, and you've heard that expression that politics makes strange bedfellows, you know, so relying on separatists to defend their climate policy is really, you know, <laughs> when we've seen this happening, you know, a week ago we were talking about this. So and, you know, I said then as many you can't put the genie back in the bottle. Right. And to me, I'm just so mystified how this, you know, happened, how the liberals couldn't have seen this sort of fallout uh, in this sense. So, you know, I, I think in an era where anything can happen that's exactly what does happen right now so is this the victory for the conservatives that polyev want is there a moral victory here you know it's going to play out over time um you know you have the premiers ganging up on trudeau over this three-year hold on the on the tax for maritimers on that heating oil so it's just so political and mm-hmm. at the end of the day you know i think what we're going to see it, will we see a carbon tax period so you know winner loser i think 
the any climate policy by the Trudeau liberals right now is fully in question. Um, you know, it, it's always a winning argument mm-hmm. that you're going to cut taxes. And if it's at the expense of the carbon tax, you know, it just it remains to be seen. But certainly it's, it's one where you're head shaking and, uh, you know, could it have been predicted? Not so sure. I can't declare a winner. I'm just shaking my head. That's, See, that for an answer. that's a great. No, but it, it is a very all encompassing issue. Steve, the liberals frame this as a defeat uh, for Pierre Polyev's motion. But, uh, you know, if you win in the court of public opinion, not there's there's an election in the next five or six months. Uh, Pierre Polyev doesn't mind the attention this issue got in the last week. Fair enough. And, uh, you know, a lot of things in politics are either or. I think this is not one of them. I was sympathy on this one. I think this is a both and example. Yes, the liberals won the motion. Yes, they had some strange bedfellows alongside to help them win the motion. Um, but on the other hand, the conservatives uh, also come away uh, with somewhat of a victory here because they've managed to keep this issue in the headlines. And this issue is a toxic political loser for the liberals right now. Their climb down. And let's call it what it is. Their climb down on the carbon tax, which is the single most important climate change policy this government has brought in since it took power in 2015. The more they are talking about that and the less they are talking about other things like building homes, which I suspect we're going to talk about as well, Mm. uh, then that's a win for the conservatives. So this is one of those things which isn't either or. It's both end, in my view. Anything, to, Steve, let me hold it with you here. Anything to the idea of uh, of the NDP and liberals being fractured? I haven't got to ask you about it. We had Jugmeet Singh on the show on Friday, and he said, no, we're going to continue with the confidence and supply agreement, and we sure don't agree with the conservatives about climate. But I found it intriguing that six NDP MPs abstained yesterday. There's only 25 of them, and 25 percent of them said, nope, we're not going with the conservatives, despite what the leader wanted. Well, this just shows you that, uh, you know, where you stand depends on where you sit. And at the moment, uh, you know, ask a new Democrat on a normal day of the week, is there anything you can find common cause with a conservative on, <laughs> particularly Pierre Polyev's conservative party? They will say no. But this was one example of, mm-hmm. of you know, where something could happen. Uh, I, based on what I'm seeing, uh, the supply and uh, confidence agreement between the liberals and the new Democrats is holding but let's remember, Greg, the, the one real vulnerability in that agreement is that the liberals have promised to bring in a pharmacare plan, not just introduce it, but have it debated and passed by the end of this calendar year. There's not a hope in hell that that's going to happen. So, you know, the New Democrats are going to have to think of something else or move the yardsticks after this one's over. Yeah, we got seven weeks left in the calendar year, no less. All right, I want to move to Halifax. And uh, Doug Ford just seemed... Awfully, I, I, there's people that follow provincial politics and they didn't see this coming and they didn't get this. Here's Doug Ford, and he's angry at the federal government for bringing in housing dollars and, and sort of going past the province and giving them right to municipalities and right to mayors that are doing the right thing. Here's the premier. We do want to work collaboratively. We'll get a bigger bang for the buck for the, the people that need affordable, attainable homes, nonprofit homes, if we all work together. Uh, So we're encouraging the federal government. Let's all work together. Let's look at federal lands, municipal lands, provincial lands, and uh, we'll do a much better job for the people in need uh, right now. So we look forward to uh, hopefully them changing their mind, not uh, surprising each and every one of us one morning when they're in ABC town uh, dropping millions of dollars uh, when that's not their jurisdiction. Uh, That's our jurisdiction. We welcome their help, and uh, hopefully they'll put an end to this. 
Stephanie Smythe, we've all had some travel mishaps, um, you know, lumpy mattress, uh, soft pillow. Uh, I don't know how he woke up in Halifax yesterday morning, but but I found that people aren't quite sure what the win is here for the criticism of more homes being built. I thought he was all about that. How do you view the comments? Well, you know, he's not alone, though, because, you know, they all woke up on the wrong side of the hotel bed then because they're all are pretty unhappy with, you know, Fraser signing these deals with Calgary, Hamilton, Halifax, London, Vaughan you know, under the housing accelerator fund. So that's giving the municipalities uh, the money right to them to reduce red tape, right? So what they're all angry about is that they can't go in and negotiate their own deal. And stuff is being done with the province or with the feds mm-hmm. and the municipalities. But then this is, um, you know, overriding specific agreements with other municipalities. So, you know, they're basically, they could be duplicating work in some circumstances, right? So, uh, but in Quebec, that's the exception where the province brokered this $900 million deal with Ottawa on behalf of all of its cities and towns. So the rest of of the province is saying, whoa, what about us? You know, we, and now there's this duplication of meetings and it, maybe it isn't all that efficient to do it this way. So they're all saying that they need fairness, they need equity, and they're not seeing this in this model, you know? So they, they're even looking at some, some legislation, um, similar to Quebec to help them getting fair treatment. So it's not just Doug Ford alone. It's like this lack of collaboration on housing that they say is creating like a duplicate process. And that, they say, risks putting provinces and territories against each other. So does Premier Ford possibly have a point? It, it sounds like other other premiers are on board with him. Yeah, Steve Pakin, he called it jurisdictional creep by the federal government. And, and you know, but it is pointing out some people are criticizing Ford, saying you're pointing out that that they're doing the job in your jurisdiction. And you're almost it's almost a cell phone to admit that you weren't doing the job in your jurisdiction. Is that fair? Well, let's remember where this comes out of. This is a meeting of the so-called Council of the Federation, which has nothing to do with Star Trek. Uh, this is basically <laughs> all of the premiers. All of the premiers of the country and the territorial leaders sit around a table, and and I don't mean to dismiss it because it's an important institution for developing Mm. provincial power and understanding what shared values and and common concerns they have, but it does tend to turn into a gripe fest against the federal government. Doug Ford is not constitutionally incorrect. The fact of the matter is housing, as laid out in the Constitution, is a provincial responsibility, and the federal government technically, legally – is not supposed to bypass the province and go directly to a municipality and make its own deal. Things aren't supposed to happen that way. However, if you were running the federal Liberal Party these days and you saw the polls that came out just the other day, and you realize you're not going to get any credit for building more homes in this country if you make a a, a quiet behind-the-scenes deal with the province who then gets to cut all the ribbons with the municipality and leave you guys out of the mix, you're not going to go for that. So this is completely understandable that the feds want to use their, how much money's in that housing accelerator fund? I mean, it's a billion dollars at least, isn't it? Maybe more. I understand why they want to bypass the Constitution and go straight for the, you know, this reminds me, Greg, of what Mm. Pierre Trudeau said in 1984 when he gave a speech at the leadership convention that picked John Turner. And he said, when we wanted to get stuff done, we talked over the heads of the media. We talked over the heads of the premiers. We went directly to the people of Canada. And it seems like Pierre Trudeau's son is employing that play 
right now. Yeah, it's a really interesting one. I mean, the, the comments that go back, and I'm sure we all dissected them, were on August 1st with Justin Trudeau looking into the camera and saying, Stephanie, that, that the federal, federal government's not primarily responsible for housing, but Steve's point on the polls, that's three months ago plus change, and a lot's gone south for the liberals in terms of public support, not just polls, but just you can feel it. You can see it and you can feel it on the streets, the dissatisfaction with the government. Oh, absolutely. But in the meantime, you know, you hear a lot of chatter in, in the city, though, talking about suddenly you're able to do things with, with your property that you couldn't be, get done before, right? So, mm-hmm. it's you know, you can have with the, the green lighting of a lot of red or getting rid of a lot of red tape and green lighting projects. So it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating conversation uh, and, and, you know, political hot potato still. Let's get to this uh, story. And and I get it's confusing for people, so I'll lay it out as best I can. There's two Toronto LRTs, uh, the Eglinton LRT, which isn't up and operational yet to some considerable controversy every time it gets brought up. And uh, the Finch West LRT, which is to some extent. And the concept is Ontario might assume operation of both those light rail lines. The city's got a one point five billion dollar deficit, Stephanie. And as we talked about with the potential upload of the DVP and the Gardner, um, it's 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 tough to think about reliable transit. It's so difficult to drive in the city right now. But I you know, we all want what's best for the city in terms of balancing the budget. But I worry like we <laughs> we're bringing a ton of new Ontario residents in and every option imaginable to get them from point A to B. I'm all for. But this just feels hopeless sometimes. What do you think of, of this story and moving this responsibility to the province and away from a cash strap city? Oh, it's just endless. What Toronto doesn't have the money to do. Mm-hmm. So it's one thing to upload Gardner DVP. And like, well, what we don't know is where does the province stand on this, right? Is this even going to happen? But I mean, what obviously Eglinton LRT is the Metrolinx and that's provincially run. And then the, the Finch line, you know, the, it's just, it, it's just to me baffling. How is Toronto ever going to get anything done? Where is the money going to come from? How can they keep moving? You, you were talking about housing earlier. Every time we turn around there is a roadblock when it comes to dollars in this city so is this the answer is it going upload as much as it possibly can and changing that dynamic i mean this is something that we don't have the answer to yet in terms of even what the province is willing to do but it sounds like everything is in crisis and you know nothing's getting done (laughs) how's that yeah yeah it's yeah it's just a getting around and the practicality steve but i get it if people are in toronto going oh my goodness take as many projects off the, 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 the mayor's plate, the city's plate as possible. If it's $190 million a year for DVP and Gardner maintenance, and both of these lines cost the TTC $106 million per year, well, the shovel's in the ground, and you're starting to dig out some of your yearly expenses if you can, if you can upload these to Ontario. Well, uh, just remember, you're talking to somebody here who lives about 200 yards south of Eglinton, just west of Young. Uh, so I've watched this thing for more than a decade uh, not do what it's supposed to do. And I can tell you that there's tremendous frustration in the neighborhood yeah. about the fact that this thing is 96% complete. And for whatever reason, they don't seem to have a plan to be able to get the last 4% done. I'm talking about the Eglinton Crosstown LRT. Let's remember, I'm sure Toronto City Hall would love a scenario whereby they get to continue to maintain control of these two light rail transit lines, but have the province write the check for them, right? They want to run them. They want control of them. They want somebody else to pay for it. My hunch is that's not on. My hunch is Doug Ford's going to say to Olivia Chow at some point in the next few weeks, uh, while they have these meetings about how to figure out how to deal with Toronto's budget, Olivia, look, if you, if you want me to pay for this thing, 
we're going to have to take it over and we're going to have to be responsible for it because I'm going to take the flack for it at the end of the day. Therefore, you better just give me control of it. Now, will he do that? Does he want to do that? We don't know. We're having this conversation this morning because somebody, yeah. some civil servant mentioned it in a briefing note as an option going forward. It's just a trial balloon at this stage. Got to continue to watch it as it goes forward. Yeah, I think we all, Steph, I think we all look at something like the 407, which it's too complex to get into now. But we think that decision to, you know, to sell it off for the province was rushed. It felt emotional. It felt like a bit of a panic move. It, it wasn't given its proper vetting. And then it's just a regretful decision that that makes it it makes people very angry just to think about what they pay on the 407 and that money's not staying in the province. Right. And, uh, you know, in terms of anything to do with look, you've got road tolls, which are never going to happen. But no. where is the money going to come from? Right. And uh, to, to Steve's point, like these conversations are ongoing or being trial balloons, see how the public reacts to it. But, you know, the bottom line is there are dollars that just Toronto doesn't have to do things right now. I mean, what's going to save it? Uploading everything. How would the average Torontonian react to that? I don't think they care as long as it gets built. No, that's exactly right. People just want these things working. They don't care which level of government responsible for funding them or operating them or maintaining them or whatever. They want them finished. They want them in operation and we want to use them. There it is. Hey, listen, you know, if we're doing a halftime interview like you're an NFL coach, Steve, I'm, I'm going to say great first half. How's the voice? Hand? It's like, you, you, you know, I feel like you're 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 coaching a perfect you're pitching a perfect game right now through five or six innings with that voice. I really do. Sure doesn't feel it. Feels like my rotator cuff's going to go any second now. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's give you a forty second break here and listen to a, a UK based MP. Remembrance Day is on Saturday. We know there have been Saturday demonstrations in Toronto and Ottawa. We all get heated up on Monday and talk about them, and then I feel like by Tuesday and Wednesday, maybe we've calmed down a little bit. But they're worried about this in London, England. I want to play you this clip from uh, governing MP Tobias Elwood and his concern about Armistice Day remembrances this coming Saturday. A very special day for the United Kingdom and anybody familiar with our history uh, and what we do recognizes that this is the moment that the nation pauses to reflect on past service, on past sacrifice and therefore those who have served to defend our way of life, our freedoms and indeed the right to demonstrate as well. But the right to demonstrate comes with a sense of responsibility as well to try to overshadow uh, the nation when it comes together in every corner of uh, the country, every village, every town, every city, and indeed the capital city as well, um, really is to show disrespect and indeed, as the Prime Minister says, is an act of provocation. And uh, I really do invite the organizers to recognize how uh, disrespectful this is. That's a plea, Steph, uh, to not be demonstrating near, you know, ceremonies in, in London and the United Kingdom. And we know what Toronto's like for Remembrance Day. There's always a ceremony at the Cenotaph at Old City Hall. Um, they're in East York. They're at the Scarborough War Memorial. Uh, are you worried at all about tension, about clashes on Saturday between what we describe as pro-Palestine protesters and people out recognizing our great war veterans? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, without a doubt, we've seen it here in Toronto uh, now. So things are escalating as this war continues to escalate. Uh, I think the tensions are there as well. I mean, they've said that they're not going to be near Cenotaph in the UK, you know, on Armistice Day. But, you know, things can take dramatic turns, as we've seen in this very city of ours, you know, with G20. And it doesn't take a lot of people to uh, change the whole complexion of, you know, a demonstration. So I, I think, you know, right now, this is so heated and uh, tensions aren't getting any better. 
So, you know, I, I think that anything can happen at this point in time. I don't, and that's not to stoke fears or anything. No. It's just the reality of where and how people are feeling about this issue. I mean, it's, it's bled into everyday conversations uh, in families. And look, I heard, I heard Ben Mulroney and Warren Kinsella with you yesterday, you know, and I saw the blowback on Twitter. So it is, it's, it's a very, very um, volatile space. Right it's now. tense. It's, it's, I'll put it this way, Steve. It's not fun for a lot of people. And people said to me this morning, are you going to talk about the man that was killed in Los Angeles yesterday? Okay. And we should. There was an elderly Jewish man who's 69 who was killed. He was hit with a megaphone by uh, what's described as a pro-Palestinian protester. It's awful. It's the first loss of life that we know of in a demonstration. But why will it be the last with how inflamed things are? And that's the concern, let alone um, honoring our great war veterans who aren't all, um, you know, a lot of these a lot of these men and women served in Afghanistan recently or they've been overseas in the last 15 years. Um, we owe them. We owe them one day out of 365 to me anyway. I totally agree with you. I think we all well recall seeing on social media that video of three what looked like United Kingdom citizens in about their 70s or 80s. Uh, which means they were, you know, they probably, they didn't fight during World War II, but they are out doing their thing, trying to sell poppies. Yeah. And they were completely overrun and surrounded by Palestinian demonstrators. Now, let's say this straight out. Pro-Palestinian demonstrators have the constitutionally protected right to protest and demonstrate and show their deep unhappiness with what is going on in the Middle East right now. But I like what that member of parliament from the UK just said, Greg, They're also with that right comes the responsibility. It behooves them to do so in a way that doesn't take away from the one hour that we spend in the course of a year on November 11th, the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month, month, remembering the important uh, contribution that uh, the greatest generation made to make sure that we can still live in a democracy here in 2023. Uh, I I could spend a lot of time, but I won't, going through the history of the fact that the Arab nations all sided with uh, Hitler during World War II. And that's a provocative thing to say right now, and maybe I should take it back. But uh, it's accurate. The Grand Mufti of Jerusalem, uh, the uh, single most important Arab leader of the day, sided with the Axis. So my advice uh, to uh, people in the Palestinian community is absolutely exercise your free speech rights to protest about what you see as uh, terrible transgressions in the Middle East. But for one hour, let's keep our eye on the prize. And the prize on that day is our World War II veterans and others. We got a, that's well said. We got about a minute left, Steph. So I want to give you the last word on this subject. I heard Kelly Cotrera mentioned yesterday that there has to be an element of 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 self policing, of us checking each other. We all need it personally sometimes. Somebody needs to check us and say, walk this back a little bit. I think it's a tremendous test to be honest, uh, of who we are and who our communities are on Saturday, if we can do this right? Well, I think it can happen, absolutely. And to Steve's point and what that uh, the, the person in the UK was saying in that clip mm-hmm. that you played, uh, again, it just takes one or two. That's the point. It's like it doesn't have to be. You can have, you know, 500 people marching uh, peacefully or demonstrating peacefully, but it, it takes a few for something to turn. And that's, that's the worry here, I think. Let me leave it there. Steve, you did it. You pulled through. Steph, Steph had another hour in her. She's a, I mean, you know. It's <laughs> Put me out to pasture right now. I'm done. Absolutely. All right. We'll, uh, we're going to socially and, uh, and, and verbally distance Steve uh, for the next several, uh, several moments here. We, why, better, Steve. 
<laughs> we want you to get better. Google turmeric milk. It's a big hit in the Brady household. Uh, it, it's, uh, again, all that maple syrup and cinnamon and whatever spice um, my wife puts into A, a my life or B, the, the drink. It seems to work. Thanks for this, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you, and thanks to Bye-bye. Mrs. Brady.